Welcome to another edition of the Membership World podcast. My name is Gordon Glanister and I'm the founder of Membership World. This edition is sponsored by our friends at RD Mobile, the complete membership events engagement platform. Now, during our podcast series, I'm going to be interviewing CEOs from the trade association and professional bodies sector, and they'll be bringing insights and personal stories of their challenges and success stories with loads of takeaways. But before we get started, just please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast just to make sure that you don't miss a future episode. And in today's episode, I'm going to be talking with John Newcomb, who's the CEO of the Builders Merchants Federation. One of the greatest success stories of the BMF was the extensive lobbying and communication with government, which allowed the sector to be kept open during the pandemic and certainly was a lifeline to so many of the BMF members. So I started by asking John a little bit about what the BMF does. The BMF stands for Builders Merchants Federation. As the name implies, our primary membership base is builders merchants, that's plumbers merchants, general merchants, timber merchants. We have about 400 builders merchants in membership, which operate from just under 6,000 branches. So I guess anybody listening to the podcast, the names that you will probably be aware of are brands like Travis Perkins or Juicen, obviously are the big brands, but there are many, many smaller independent, regional independent builders merchants throughout the UK. The 400 members that are members of the BMF represent about 85% of the total market. But we also have in membership about 260 supplier members. So that would be manufacturers and distributors of building materials that are supplying into the builders merchants. So again, some of the names that your audience might be aware of are brands like Velux, uh, JCB, Ipstop Bricks. Marshalls, so big PLC suppliers, but also SME-based uh, manufacturing businesses, people like Twyford's as well on the light side. So, so we basically are involved in the whole distribution of building materials, the manufacture and import of materials right the way through the distribution of those products through merchants and into the hands predominantly of, of the trade customers. So 80% of the customers of my members would be jobbing builders, small regional builders. And of course, with the bigger groups would be the major house builders like the Persimmons and the, and the Taylor Wimpies, etc. So we're a pretty sort of fundamental cog within the construction sector. The construction sector is valued at about £150 billion. Pounds. It's about 10% of the GDP of the economy. And my members turn over just under 40 billion of that 150 billion. So quite a significant slice of the total construction pie. Wow, that's, that's pretty impressive, I have to say. Now, you didn't come from the construction industry when you took over this role. And I think you know, today's uh, podcast and video is all really about your journey and your experiences and what you've learned along the way and what challenges that you've faced. When was it that you actually joined the BMF? I joined in August 2012, so coming up to uh, nine years with the business now. I mean, my background is, is predominantly a sales and marketing background. So I started life as a, as a marketeer and then developed from various marketing roles into sales and marketing director, then to managing director and ran actually ran a consumer products business called Addis, which was a very famous brand um, selling into the major high street retailers, so people like Tesco and Asda and, uh, and John Lewis, etc. 
but then started to get involved with trade associations as a non-exec board director. So the trade association I was responsible or involved with at the time was, was one called the British Home Enhancement Trade Association. And I became a non-exec director of BETA and then eventually took over as uh, president of BETA. But my trade association experience was as a non-exec. And this is the first role that I've taken on where I'm actually running the trade association. So, but I guess I've had experience and involvement with trade associations for the last 20, 25 years. Yeah, um, interesting. And what happened when you arrived? What did you see? What did you discover And what did you want to change? I always remember going for the interview. So the BMF was based in central London. It was based just around the corner from the uh, Football Association. And it was a very antiquated building. Kind of when you walked into the building, it felt like you were going into an organisation from the 60s, a multi-level floored building where literally there was one department on each floor. So the guys on the top floor never spoke to the guys on the bottom floor. I guess the honest answer to that question is the first couple of months into the role, I wondered what I'd let myself in for because um, financially the organisation was in a bad way. It was losing well over a quarter of a million a year. It was losing membership. It had had a continuous decline in membership. Actually, August 2012, it reached its lowest ever point in its 100-year history, which was 324 members. It's ingrained on my brain. And if I tell you now that we're at 760 members, then you can see we've had quite a dramatic turnaround in terms of the number of member companies. I think it was a classic case, Gordon, of of an organisation that completely lost its way. It had lost sight of of who its members were. It was very London-centric. And of course, the bulk of our members are throughout the, the UK. So a builder's merchant in Burnley would never come down to a, a meeting in central London. And a lot of the people in the office at the time were also quite London-centric. Typically, I think, I'm sorry, of a, of a London-based trade association. Whereas I've always felt if you're running a national trade association, that should be based in the heart of the country, which is where we're based now. We're based in, in Coventry in the West Midlands, which I think is an ideal location for a national trade association. You mentioned that clearly it was uh, losing revenue, losing uh, members. What steps did you take to turn that around? I think in sort of classical marketing terms, the first thing that we needed to do was really understand our customer, or in this particular case, our member. So I spent the first two or three months, I was given a, a bit of a hit list by my chairman because obviously I knew nothing about the sector. It was a new sector to me. Um, So he gave me a list of key influencers within the industry who I needed to get out and see and to really understand what their perceptions were of the organisation. One thing about builders merchants is they tell you exactly how it is. So uh, I got it straight in terms of where we'd gone wrong, where they felt we needed to change and adapt. And then again, in classical marketing terms, I started to play around with the brand and the positioning statement It was an evolution we changed the brand, but it it signified that something new and different was happening within the BMF. It's a a different mission statement now than the one that we developed. So really getting out there, listening to the members, really understanding what it was that they wanted out of the trade association, and then really started to change the image of the organisation. And I guess that was 
mainly helped when we made the decision to sell the building in London and to relocate the whole of the organisation to Coventry, because clearly when you physically change something like that, it evokes change. It, it was a real indication that this guy here means business and he's prepared to change, radically change the organisation. And that was really well received from the members. The physical move out of London and into Coventry was... Um, Probably one of the best decisions that I personally have made, but obviously we made it as a board uh, at the time. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's not just a the physicality of it, but it's almost an emotional statement as well that we are listening to our members and we're making some, and at the same time as as, as changing the the mission statement, it's, it's all it's all one. It's all, you needed to put your stamp on things, didn't you? Correct. The fact that I was from outside of the industry worked in my favour mm. because I didn't come in with perhaps any of the preconceptions or the baggage that, and I know, by the way, that I was interviewed alongside a number of candidates from within the industry. And the board were very clear that they wanted somebody who was commercial, not a traditional trade association person that had been running trade associations for many years. They wanted a kind of commercial animal, but more importantly, they wanted somebody with completely fresh ideas and a fresh approach to the sector as well as to the trade association. So yeah, I, I obviously had to establish my credibility within the sector, but I think that helped me because as I said, there was no preconceptions, there was no there was no baggage, you know, I hadn't worked for one of our suppliers or I hadn't worked for one of the buying groups. I wasn't coming from any part of the industry. You're almost defined by the actions that you take in a way, aren't you? Correct, which, is, which, let's face it, is the best way of being judged. So what challenges did you face as well? I mean, uh, obviously, there, were, there, was, there was lots of upsides there, but uh, clearly there were financial challenges facing you as well as anything else. Although I, I presume that if you'd moved and sold the building, that would have provided you with um, you know, income generated. Uh, we've gone from a balance sheet of pretty much zero to a, a balance sheet of 4.6 million. Obviously, the sale of a building in London, although we probably ironically could have got more had we kept hold of it for a couple of years. But yeah, I think we sold the building for just over 3 million. So suddenly we had an asset base. You know, we, we had a balance sheet that looked incredibly healthy. It provided us with cash to be able to do some of the things that we desperately needed to be done. I had to unfortunately make several people redundant. I did relocate two or three people to Coventry on an interim basis because you can appreciate people who are based in London, live in London, don't really want to move to Coventry. But ironically, probably two of the key members of the staff who I never would have dreamt would have made that transition kind of initially said, well, John, we'll come with you for the first three or four months and you know, then we might have to leave. Stayed for well over two years. You know, Stayed in a hotel in Coventry as I did and um, stayed with me because they could see how the organisation was changing. And both of them had been in the organisation for over 25 years. So they were quite excited by seeing the transformation of the BMF and being part of that transformation programme. So obviously, culturally, you know, people have had to change. I've had to pretty much recruit a team from scratch. So I've got a team of uh, 16 people now. There's only one of those is left from the original team that I inherited. So everyone apart from that one individual has been recruited or I've been involved in the recruitment of that individual. Every desk, every chair, every piece of carpet within our current building in Coventry, I was involved in the decision because we literally had to build a business from scratch. You know, we bought the raw building, but we had to gut it 
and completely transform it into a trade association headquarters and conference centre. We hold a number of, or did before COVID, hold a number of uh, events. So we have a a double-storey building and a lot of our events are actually held uh, in Coventry, which obviously is cost-effective, but it brings the members constantly into the building. So, you know, the staff are exposed to members on a very frequent basis. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that entirely. It's something that we used to do at, uh, at my association that I used to run a number of years ago, although it was London-centric. <laughs> um, at least we, we used the facilities that, that were there for the very same reason that you've suggested. So I think that's, uh, that's really good. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I know a number of people listening to this may be London-based trade associations. So I think it depends on, on the audience and it depends on your membership. The point I guess I'm trying to make, you know, if you want to appeal to a member that's in the Northern Hebrides of Scotland or is in Burnley or is in Harrogate in Yorkshire, they kind of struggle a little bit to associate with an organisation that's based in London that recruits only from London and the South East. So it, it depends on, on the audience and the membership. But uh, interesting enough, I've got a similar example, British Coatings Federation, who I know very well, Tom Botel that runs BCF. They actually followed our lead. Tom would say that, of course, they didn't follow our lead, but they closed their office uh, in London and and relocated to Coventry, actually, about three or four years ago, I think. And that's been very successful for that organisation as well. So, you know, we're we're not the first to do it and we won't be the last, but um, it's definitely worked as far as my membership is concerned. That's interesting. Education and training is a huge part of uh, of what you guys do. Was that a legacy thing? Was that also part of the original trade association or what are the changes that you've implemented in that? I think we've always been known for training. It's probably the single biggest reason that a lot of the merchants would join us because our training is very specific to the merchant sector. All of our courses are delivered by people with knowledge and expertise, if you like, within the area. I guess two big changes. One is initially a lot of those people are employed by the BMF and we made the decision to not employ those people but to give them an opportunity to work for us on a a sort of subcontractor basis. Actually quite a few of our trainers now used to be employed by the BMF. Now that works, has worked very well for them as self-employed individuals but has clearly worked very well for us. Obviously they charge a rate, we make a margin on their rate and we charge it out to the members. Same with apprenticeships. We used to employ, I think, six people involved in in apprenticeships. Uh, We now have a third party uh, apprenticeship provider that provides apprentices. So really stripping back all of those fixed costs out of the business, but still being able to offer that expertise. And they still have, you know, BMF business cards, they're BMF trainers, they, they work for us exclusively within the industry. They don't work for any other companies in the in the merchant sector and we make them feel like a team member of BMF but they are their own bosses they are self-employed so I guess that's the first one and then of course what's happened during Covid is face-to-face training which is by far the biggest part of what we do is completely disappeared we've struggled and wrestled with delivering training online um, we've tried so many different approaches it's worked to a certain extent, but nowhere near to the extent that face-to-face training worked. And interestingly enough, we're just starting to see now that face-to-face training being rebooked again from sort of April, May time. Again, I know other trade associations where you know this whole virtual world has worked well for them. It hasn't within our sector. I mean, we've been able to run things like forums and events. You know, I know you've successfully run those type of events. Uh, we've had 50, 60 people at those events. 
But we've shunned away from running awards events and conferences because, you know, we're a people-based industry and people want to see people. They want to mix with people. They want to have a drink in the bar or a coffee. And it's really the same with training. You know, part of the, tr- the benefits of training is that people from different organisations get the chance to meet each other, have a coffee, share experiences over lunch. You can't do that on Zoom. Now, I, I absolutely agree with you. And it's interesting. I mean, I work a lot in the event space, as you know. Um, and I've been to some exhibitions and conferences that have worked well, but I've been to some shocking ones that haven't. But there's been little or no engagement. And uh, it's it's a struggle because, let's be honest, we're all trying to adapt to a new technology. That it, it wasn't gradual. It was instant. And, of course, some people feel very confident about that and adapted very well. Others don't. Um, so it's, it's a completely different experience that we are uh, that we've had to, to get used to. I can see a benefit of a sort of hybrid type of approach, but for me, large events, you know, where you are bringing people together for two or three days in our sector, in our industry, have to be delivered physically. So we've moved so many events back and forth. But fortunately, we're planning on starting our first series of events from September. So we absolutely feel that we need to get back to that face-to-face contact. What other little nuggets have you learned on your journey? What are the other areas that you have implemented? That's a very good question. I think I've learned an awful lot about people in terms of sometimes it's the people, particularly during COVID, I think the last 12 months, some of my team, who probably are actually more junior members of the team, have, have really stepped up to the plate and have excelled during this process. Perhaps that's not always been the case with other members of the team. So <laughs> my team members aren't watching this, by the way, because they'll all be speculating about which who's who. But the point I made to you earlier about people that I didn't anticipate would have moved to Coventry or would have stayed with me when I moved to Coventry did. So I think you learn an awful lot about people when you go through the huge transformation that we've been through as a business in the last uh, nine years. You learn a lot about culture, uh, leadership and management styles. I think lots of people initially, when I joined, when I first presented the vision, I don't think we're sure as to you know how long would I last? How long would I be able to deliver all the things that I promised to deliver when I first came in? But, you know, I think the success of the organisation speaks for itself. So I think as a leader of any business, you've got to have a clear, strong vision and you've got to take the rest of the business with you and with that direction. Just that clarity of purpose and having an end vision in mind and, and just wanting to get that. I mean, in our roadmap, we started with 324 members and I had a five-year plan with where I wanted the membership to be at the end of each of those years. And we pretty much hit those targets every year, even though looking back when you were at 320 members to look forward and say in seven or eight years time, we'll have over double that membership and you know we'll have grown our, our market share from say 50% to 85% of the market. They look quite aspirational and almost unachievable, but I've always had that belief that we, we could do it and we've got there. I think the key thing now is not to sit on our laurels and say, great, we've got to this stage. What's next for us over the next five years? And how do we continue to drive excellence? Our current strategy and vision statement is all about building excellence uh, within the industry. So we talk about the BMF mantra, which is, you know, how does a business build excellence in our sector? Well, for us, it's all about, you know, building people, building skills, building a voice, building your business, and then a collection of those a combination of those four things, we believe, build excellence into your organisation. So clearly, that's what I'm trying to do in the BMF. We're constantly looking at 
how do we help members build skills? How do we help members build their people? How do we raise our presence and our voice within government? I think, you know, we're a member of the Construction Leadership Council, so we've been right at the the top table of government right the way throughout this COVID crisis, which is exactly where I wanted us to be. I wanted our sector to have the voice it deserved. I think we're a key member of that construction leadership team where we have a direct contact into government through Bayes. I'm pretty much on a call with government every day. I would suggest I'm speaking to somebody within Bayes on some issues. So we've always wanted to have that kind of relationship. And actually, it's COVID, really. It's allowed us to develop that relationship, to have that seat at the top table. And now we're there. I don't want to lose it. I want to build on that relationship because, again, lobbying, political representation, I've always felt is an important part of our offer. But sometimes our members didn't really understand what does he mean by you know political representative? What does he mean by lobbying? How does it benefit us? I mean, my God, have they seen the benefit of that contact and relationship over the last 12 months? Because without that relationship, arguably merchants wouldn't have been allowed to open. You know, we're a sector that has really ridden this storm incredibly well. What it's indicated to our members is the real value and importance of having a strong trade association with a strong voice within government. No, that's amazing. And good to hear that you've got some great connections. I mean, I think... I've picked this up from other trade associations, actually, uh, during um, during COVID. Uh, it's been like policy making on the hoof. And, uh, and actually, government is saying this is a very, very effective way online to meet multiple trade associations in one go. We're going to continue with this because it, it seems like it's a, it's a very valued insight, not just you into government, but actually government messaging out to, uh, out to industry that feedback, which is so important in sort of policy making and communications. And I think it depends on the sector, Gordon. I mean, construction is a very complex sector. I think we once did an exercise where we evaluated how many associations were involved in construction. I think we came to a figure of about 250 trade associations that have some sort of link into construction. Well, quite clearly, the government aren't going to listen to 250 trade associations. The benefit of what's happened through the Construction Leadership Council is it's brought together the leading trade associations from each of those sectors, merchanting, manufacturing, contracting, house building. And it's brought them together virtually around that table with governments so that we can speak as one voice. And that's been very powerful, that collaborative approach of you know not having trade associations trying to outdo each other and compete for time with government representatives, but actually collectively to come together as one unified body. That's been incredibly powerful and was sadly missing in our industry. What's the future look like for the BMF? I think it looks very strong. We still have a desire to grow our membership. I'd love to take our membership to over a thousand members. That would be probably turning the clock back. Currently, our membership is the highest in 35 years. So if we took it to over a thousand, it would probably be the highest in over 50 years. So that would be a nice achievement, I think, in terms of numerical targets. Um, so, for example, our target this year is 800 and then we have an 850 target next year, etc. So certainly within the next five years, I'd like to think we, we could get to a thousand members. I think the industry we're in, it badly needs to change. I think there's a lot that needs to happen to change the image of construction. You know, we struggle to attract talent into the industry. The industry needs to change to achieve things like the net zero carbon targets. Digitalization is a big growth area within our sector right now. 
you know, we're still quite an old fashioned industry in, in many respects. But actually, if you look at the underlying factors of, you know, we don't build enough houses, there is a massive, massive investment in infrastructure currently. You've seen Boris with these lectins of build, build, build. While the current government is in power, there is a strong desire to build back better, build back stronger and build back greener. And all of those messages are quite powerful messages for our members because we are absolutely at the heart of that building programme. So I think all the underlying factors are looking positive, actually. We're just about to produce our forecast reports, which show that the sector will grow by about 15% this year, obviously after a bad second quarter last year. So it's a great industry to work in. It's a growth industry. It's now been recognised, obviously, by the government as one of the key essential sectors because you know we employ 3 million people. We're 10% of GDP. And quite frankly, had construction not been allowed to continue to operate during COVID, the economy would be in a much worse position than it's in now. So we finally come of age, Gordon, in terms of the, the recognition and acceptance of how important we are as a sector. This podcast is sponsored by RD Mobile, providing events and member engagement solutions used by organizations worldwide. RD Mobile can help your organization deliver value at your next virtual or in-person event and throughout the year. Visit us at rdmobile.com to learn more. That's it for another edition of the Membership World podcast. Please don't forget to follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook. And if you want to ask me questions about particular issues, please let me know. And once again, a reminder to hit subscribe. And if you feel like it, please do give us a nice review as it makes a huge difference. And if you want to take part in any of the membership masterclasses I run or want to get to receive more great content, please don't forget to register on the Membership World website. It's absolutely free to anyone that's running membership bodies trade association or other related communities thanks again to our sponsor rd mobile and my producer neil whiteside from freedom one and until next time from me gordon glenister it's bye for now